All right. Well, I forgot my little clicker. Um, well, it's good to have you here. It's been so good to see people coming back and uh, just now I'm going to be out of breath because I'm su such out of shape. Um, oh. Hey, you know what? And uh, we'll talk about this later, but um, we have invites in the back. And I felt like for almost a year, I couldn't use these, you know, because I was always like, hey, you should. I think they're going to hate me if I invite them to church. Like, do you have a death wish? Do you want to come to our church? Like, I felt like that's what I was, you know, so it, it was hard to invite. But I tell you what, things are, the mass mandate ends officially when? Tomorrow. 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 Yay. So, you know, lots of people, you know, anyway, so um, just, just I, I think if, th if this is something, if this is like, this is terrible, okay, find another church, all right? But if, if, if you come and you're like, man, this is so encouraging, this is inspiring, this is, this is helpful to me spiritually, um, invite other people and because, because maybe it'll help them as well. So um, just talking about um, today, The Good Work, a new series. I'm really excited about this. I've been praying about this morning. If you can, if you can take a step in the direction that we'll be talking about today, if every single one of us could do that, it will just transform and change this world. Jesus Christ came to this world. You know, uh, Jessica was just praying, God doesn't change. I'm so thankful for that because God is perfect, right? So if God would change, it would actually be immoral. He, he would become worse. But none of us here are perfect, right? And so all of us need to change. And God wants to use us not just to change our own lives and to work in us, but to change other people's lives as well and to change the world. So today we're going to talk about catching the vision. What is the one thing that God wants you to do to change this world? And, and how do you figure out what that is? And so to do this, uh, we're going to look in the book of Nehemiah. And, and as I've gone, gone through Nehemiah over the last couple months, just picking out how he made a difference and how he came about uh, that difference that he did made. Um, it starts with a vision. So a vision is just a picture in your mind of what the world should be and could be. And so what, what, what is that picture? Because it starts with our minds and then translates into action. So here's the first question you need to ask yourself. Have four questions today that we're going to go through to work through catching this vision of what God wants you to do to change your world. Um, the first question is, what are you curious about? So believe it or not, we're not all curious about the same stuff, right? Um, and, and we tend to think of curiosity as a bad thing. Curiosity kills the cat, right? Um, and there is a sinful, wicked slant to some of our curiosity that we need to run from. And yeah, you don't need to know that. You don't need to see that. You don't need to think about that. That is an unhealthy curiosity. But Satan didn't invent curiosity. God invented curiosity, and God made us curious. I, I think it's one of the most underappreciated virtues in, in, in humanity, curiosity. In fact, the greatest evangelist I know, Jane Schmitz, uh, she, she is an amazing person and has won so many people to Christ and God has used her in so many amazing ways and it comes out of her curiosity of people. She's the most curious person I know about other people 
And, and if she meets you, she'd be fascinated by you. Even Kenny, as boring as he is, she'd be like, man, you know, how'd you decide to grow that beard that long? And what do you do? And tell me about your life. And, you know, like all this stuff. She's just fascinated by people. And God uses that. Like, what do you believe? And how do you think? And, and, and all that in and, and just an amazing way. So what are you curious about? So we read Nehemiah. We, we start with his curiosity towards something. And this directs him toward this vision of how God wants him to change the world. So Nehemiah 1.1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So he sets up the story, what's going on. Well, this is, he tells us this is 446 B.C. This is over 400 years before Jesus was born, 2,400 plus years ago. He's in the citadel of Susa, which is modern-day Iraq. And so then he goes on, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So what's gone on? Israel's history, um, remember they went down to Egypt and then they became slaves. Moses brought them out of Egypt. They came to Israel. They were in Israel for hundreds of years. And then because of their wickedness, 586 B.C., they were conquered by the Babylonians and the Babylonian Empire did something very smart. In order to destroy rebellion, they would take an entire nation of people and they would resettle them in other parts of their empire. It would break the nationalistic spirit because I'm not living in my nation home and I'm not surrounded by my nation you know, tribe or, or friends or family. We're all scattered and it kind of put the kibosh on, on rebellion. So Babylon did that, and they spread the Jews out throughout their empire in many different places. Well, they were defeated by the Persians, one of the largest empires in all of human history, the Persian Empire. Modern-day Iran is part of the Persian. They're the descendants of the Persian Empire. And the Persians did something different. They said, hey, we're going to let you go back to the nation you came from, because then you'll love us and not rebel from us and you'll pay your taxes and be nice because we'll be nice to you. And, and so they allowed the Jews to go back. And so all of this happened at this point. The, the nation of Israel had been conquered by Babylon 140-some years previous to this moment. And then the Persians had allowed Jews to go back 92 years before this moment in time. So you might say, well, what's Nehemiah doing in Iraq, if 90-some years ago they said you could go back home to, to Israel. And it's because, I mean, that was 140 years before. It would be like 1880. If any of your family immigrated to the United States in 1880, like how likely would you be to go back to Poland or Russia or... Eh, it's not really my home anymore. I, I have family here. I have friends here. I have a job. I... You know, I, I'm good. And so that's where he's at. But he's really curious about Israel, how the people are doing, and especially about Jerusalem. There's something about Jerusalem that he's really, really curious about. So he's asking questions. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So here's, 
whatever you were born for, whatever God made you for and God saved you for, um, it starts with a curiosity, but it quickly turns into this, which is what breaks your heart? What does your heart break over? Um, in 2010, a woman by the name of Eve Pohl decided to go on a medical missions trip to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. And on her way out, actually her flights were um, almost canceled and they had to take a different flight out because in 2010 was when Iceland's volcanoes were erupting and all travel from North America to Europe was being suspended. So they literally barely got out of North America. She's from Canada. And they got to their connecting flight in Europe so they could get to Ethiopia. The last flight out of North America to, to get into Europe they're like, oh, this must be of God. They get to Ethiopia, to Addis Ababa. It was a medical missions trip. I think she's a nurse. And they get to the national director there, and he says, oh, yeah, the previous national director is no longer in charge. I'm in charge now, and we don't need you. We don't want you. Thanks for traveling 2,000 miles, but uh, there's nothing for you to do here. And so they were devastated. They're like, what do we do? And so they decided, well, we're in Ethiopia. We might as well go and look, you know, and see Ethiopia, but not see the tourist attractions. We're going to see the needs in Ethiopia. We can't meet a need here, I guess, but let's look around at what other needs there are and maybe try to help. And so in that process, they, they went outside of Addis Ababa to the largest urban slum in the country and one of the largest ones in the world, 130,000 people living off of a garbage dump. In fact, we mentioned this several years ago. There is a landslide there of the garbage had been piled so high, it actually collapsed and buried and killed over 100 people. And the stench is just overwhelming. And she went there and some other places and went home. And then she started like Nehemiah. She started thinking about what she saw and praying about what she saw. And her heart began to break for Korah. And she realized this is what God made me to do. This is the work I was born for, I was saved for. And, and to go back to Korah. And there's lots of nonprofit organizations working there already, but she said, we're going to be different. They are, out of the 130,000 people, those other organizations, they're picking the people with the greatest potential. I would, right? I mean, there's almost limitless need, 130,000 people living off of and around garbage. I mean, but she said, no, I want to work with the worst of the worst. I want to help those who have no hope. And so they took in lepers, men who've lost limbs and fingers and can't hardly feed themselves. And, and they have a, a home for, for, for especially vulnerable people. And right now there's a, a mom living there who's blind with her two daughters, guaranteed 100% chance her daughters would have been raped if they hadn't moved her there. Because this is a lawless place. It's not just poor. Um, the police don't go to Cora because nobody cares. 
And so, so she said, this is who I want. The, the women who are illiterate, who have no chance, I'm going to train them. And so there's job training for dozens of women so, to lift them out of poverty so that they can provide for themselves. And they, they feed and tutor hundreds of children every day. And, and just this incredible program. And it all came out of first a curiosity. I wonder what other needs there are in Ethiopia. And then an incredible passion of this is what breaks my heart. And then it gets to the third point. Well, before we get to the third point. So that, that, that was her thing. What is your thing? And it's probably not to go to the other side of the world and, and, and you know, change things there. It might be very close to home. Here's just a list of things I just brainstormed. And, and what your thing is might even, not even be on this list, but foster care. Adoption, you know, our Pastor Matt Pusser in Halstead, his heartbeat is for foster care. And they've taken in a number of children, and he doesn't want to just take in a number of children. He wants Susquehanna County to have so many good families that there's always a home for a foster care kid in this county. In fact, that, that we would even be a magnet to pull in from Luzerne County or, or Wayne County or other places they don't have good foster care. Man, pull them into, because we got so many good foster care families in Susquehanna County that are ready to go any age. Any, and that's, that's his passion and being a pastor, right? But and then adoption, maybe that's it, or crisis pregnancies and working with CareNet, mentoring parents and mentoring marriages. Maybe you see like couples struggling and you're like, man, I, if I could just help that woman lower her expectations, if I could help that guy raise his level of responsibility and, you know, coaching, graduation rates and literacy, school board. Right now, I have on my desk, I have a half sheet of paper. If you're 55 and over and you want to tutor children in the local schools, there's a program and they're, they're looking for people. And if that's your thing. But here, here's the thing. We're all different, right? That is not my thing. I have no desire. First of all, I'm not 55. <laughs> so I don't qualify. But I don't, I don't want to teach someone chemistry. I don't even remember anything from chemistry. You know, I, I, you, you, might, you might be like, man, that's what gets me going, geometry. Oh, I'd love to do that. And you might, I don't love it at all. But there is something. So there might be a half a dozen things. There might be 20 things you're mildly curious about. But there's probably only one thing that breaks your heart. Even if there are five things that break your heart, there's only one of those things that you can really do something about. And Nehemiah, it was a building project. What broke Nehemiah's heart was a broken down wall. And, and so it can be, you might say business. How is that spiritual? Oh, that is so spiritual. You could have such an impact. Um, drug, alcohol abuse, suicide, employment, veterans, housing, handicapped, disabled, prison ministry, legal problems people have, new believers, non-believers, music. You know, music, may, maybe you're... I've experienced this. I've, I've been to places and met people who don't even know their own name anymore. But they know every word to amazing grace. And there's this deep connection that music makes. And, and maybe that's, that's your passion in some way. Maybe it's older people. Maybe you have your curiosity. How do some of these older people on Social Security pay for the medicine that they need 
with these copa? How do they do that? I'm just curious. And then as you look into it, maybe that curiosity develops into a, a passion. It just breaks your heart. Um, that's where Nehemiah was, and that's where we need to be. What breaks your heart? And then the third question, I don't know where you're at. If you're at the curiosity phase, your assignment is to go from here and to research and to look into stuff. We see later that Nehemiah did his homework. He researched everything. He knew all sorts of, like, we'll see that in a minute. Maybe you're past that, and you, you know, you know there is something that, man, this breaks your heart. A woman came up to me after the first service. She said, man, people who struggle with suicide and drug addiction, people who are broken in that way, that's where I was. I attempted suicide. I was an addict for years. That's what breaks my heart. That's who I want to help. That's my mission here on earth. And, and so maybe you already got that. And the next question is, is it God-sized? Because God's like a missile launcher. Okay, and if, if God is, if you got a missile launcher with you, don't hunt chipmunks, okay? It's just a little, I mean, we have God on our side, right? Like this is, we got some serious firepower. Here's, here's Nehemiah, Lord, he says, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. He's saying, man, this job that I want, I think I'm called to do that God wants me to do, I can't do it. In my own strength, this is something God has to do. He's going to need hundreds, if not thousands of people. He's going to need the king to approve it because you don't begin building a military fortification in the Persian Empire unless the Persian king says you can build a military fortification. And so he's crying out to God. He's like, God, I need you for this one. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So Nehemiah is in a significant position where he, so the king here of the Persian Empire is Artaxerxes, and you can read about him on Wikipedia or other more historical documents. And uh, he, he, his father was assassinated by uh, a military general. And so he wasn't paranoid to think that someone would want to assassinate him. And the cupbearer's job was to make sure that none of the food or wine or anything that this man, the king, drank would be poisoned. So he's in a significant position. However, he's still just a servant. So he's not nobility. He's not best buds with the king, right? He, he's just a servant. And so he's praying to God, why would the king, listen to a servant like me. God, you got to help. You got to help with me. So is this a God-sized vision? Don't settle for something insignificant. In fact, as you think about the problems in the world, what one problem would you, are you most upset about? Are you most like, God, why would you allow this to continue to happen? This injustice, this need, God, why would you do, not do something about it? And then kind of flip it around. If God can do anything, then what would he want you to do? And what would you want him to do through you to change that? So maybe it's one of those areas I put. And maybe, maybe it's, you know, an EM, EMP, is that emergency me medical personnel? 
Maybe you're, you're curious, man, what happens when someone's in a car accident? Who goes there? And what do they, how do they help? And, and then that curiosity becomes a passion. You're like, I want to be that person. I want to save people's lives and, and just be on the scene and to help in, in areas of trauma like this. And, and then don't settle for just, I'm just going to, you know, what, what, what do you want to change in the world? Because Nehemiah thinks it's about a wall. But by the end, you realize that building a wall is one of the least significant things Nehemiah accomplishes. He enacts uh, financial reforms about interest that was being charged, and and so many people impoverished through it, and he helps lift a a whole generation of people a little bit more out of poverty, and and then he confronts spiritual problems, and then he's an encouragement to Ezra, who writes many books in the Old Testament and compiles them and puts them together, And, and Nehemiah does so many incredible things that have nothing to do with the wall. And maybe as you're an emergency, maybe if you're a firefighter and you think, man, my job is to help in these car accidents and to put out these fires. No, maybe what God really wants to do with you is to model to the other firefighters what it means to be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly father. And maybe that's the real mission. But you'll never know until you start your mission. Is it a God-sized vision? Don't settle for the insignificant. And remember, you need God every step of the way. So my daughter Amber recently graduated from Clark Summit University. Um, her roommate Audrey, Aubrey, Aubrey, um, graduated with a master's in counseling, and is now working with uh, women who are part of the sex and human trafficking trade, which is a nice way of saying they were prostitutes and slaves. And she's at some kind of halfway house or something dealing with these young women. She's an idiot to try to do that in her own strength. There is no way some middle-class girl in her 20s is going to radically transform or help these women whose lives have been so broken. The world would look at them and say, there is no chance those women are going to become normal, happy, healthy human beings. Not after they have been treated the way they've been treated. Not the way they've been broken and traumatized. Their, their, Their lives. Unless, unless God can do anything. Unless God can heal, unless God can transform. She's not going in with a master's degree in counseling. She's going in with the almighty father and creator of the universe. And that's true about whatever God is calling us to do. And you might think it's insignificant. I'm just coaching a bunch of 10-year-old baseball players. None of them are going into the big leagues. But it's not about baseball. It's about molding character and, and, and being a role model. There's a man here this morning, he's telling me, he said, you know, when I was in high school, I had no father figure. I had no male role model. And then I met this man, Jim, and he accepted me. And Jim Shea became a role model for me, and that changed my life. You know, Jim Shea was a pastor, but maybe what God wanted him to do wasn't so much being a pastor. 
Maybe you talk to another man who's good friends with you. He said, Jim Shea was my, one of my best friends. He was, it devastated me when, when he moved away. And, you know, it's always people. It's always people. And, and we, we can do programs, right? We can run things and we can show up. And, but only God can change and impact people. What is it that God wants you to do? What is that God-sized vision? And then the last thing you need to ask yourself today is what, what is one step I can take toward that vision? In the beginning, Nehemiah's one step, he heard about how, how the wall was broken down, the gates are burned, and they'd been broken down and burned for 140 years. So they're pretty much pretty bad. And, and he, his first step was researching. I'm going to look into that. I'm going, to, I'm going to find out what it takes. And then his second step was prayer. At the same time, his first step was prayer as well. And he started praying about it. And he prayed about it week after week and month after month. And finally, in Nehemiah 2.1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, in the month of Nisan, that means he's been praying about this for four months. Praying and fasting and researching and looking into it and, 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 and planning and really, nothing's happened because you got to talk to the king. Four months in, when wine was brought for the king, I took the wine and gave it to the king, and I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. And I was very much afraid. Why was he afraid? Because King Artaxerxes is not King Arthur, okay? He's not Joe Biden, this is like Stalin. This is not a good man. This is a killer. And he doesn't care about right and wrong. And, and he has the power. If he were to say, you look sad. I don't want sad servants. Off with his head. Nobody would have blinked. They'd be like, oh, okay. Off you go. You know, so he was afraid. He, he said, you know what? This is what I've been praying for. This is my moment. I know I need to say something. Maybe I'll mess it up. Maybe you've been praying for a family member. Or maybe you've been praying for a coworker or a friend. Man, I, I want to invite them to church or I want to I talk to them about God. And then you're in a conversation and you're like, this is the opportunity, but what if I say something wrong? What if I ruin it? And there, if, if you go after a God-sized vision or mission, at some point you're going you're gonna to be confronted with fear. And you got to do what Nehemiah did, did, and he just went forward anyway. I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lied in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. I go, oh, God, this is the opportunity. Help me not to mess it up. In fact, prayer, more than anything, gives me courage. I am not a naturally courageous person. There is a timidity in me. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I actually went to seminary, because I could have been a pastor when I graduated from Bible college, but I was too scared to. I'm like, ah, what can I do to kill time so that I'm a couple years older? I'll go to seminary. So, but, and it was a really good thing, but maybe a bad reason for doing it. But, 
So he prayed, and so he's all prayed up, and that's given him courage. He says, I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so I can rebuild it. And then the king with the queen sitting beside him, which is significant. I'll talk about the significance of that in the coming weeks. But he asked me, how long will your journey take and when, you, when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Here's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, boss, can you give me a couple years paid vacation? That's pretty gutsy, don't you think? And the boss says, Yes. And so he's like, okay, I'm on a roll. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. He's thought this through. You don't think about that off the top of your head. He gets a yes to that. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park. I'm sure the cupbearer to the king doesn't know who is in charge of the royal park where all the forest land is in, you know, over a thousand miles away. Again, he did his research. And, and so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. So he's saying, you know what? The city of Jerusalem has 11 gates. Will you provide the wood for all of that? And if you're going to build a wall, this wall he's rebuilding, built by Hezekiah, was 20 feet wide and 25 feet tall. You need scaffolding. Scaffolding's made out of wood. You need a lot of wood. So can you give me scaffolding wood, wood for 11 gates, and let's just throw in a house for me. <laughs> he's gutsy. Man. Sure. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. And here's where Nehemiah gives credit to whose credit is due. He, he doesn't say, and because I was so eloquent and so smooth, man, I had the king, he was just wrapped around my little pinky finger. No, he doesn't say that. I was just a servant, not important at all. But because of God, because God was on my side, because God was gracious, because, because God answered my prayer, he said yes. And the ball begins rolling to accomplish some amazing, amazing things that we'll look at in the coming weeks. So what is it that God wants you to do? What is the vision he has for you? Because the answer to the problems in this world isn't a program, it's, it's people. The answer to problems isn't a what, it's a who. Um, I was talking with Rick and Romaine Van Gorder, they were at a, um, some food giveaway yesterday, and um, just talking about that, they, that that's their passion. If, if you want someone to cook a meal for the community, people come, they, they will cook the meal. They will, give, they will show up and give food away and pack it in boxes. and give it, they're, they're just amazing with that. That's their passion. And, um, but, but talking to them, I talked about there's a man, um, when I lived up in Johnson City, New York, Steve Kors. And he was new to the church I was a part of back then. And, and so um, he was between jobs. I said, hey, why don't we get together and I'll take you out to lunch. And so I went to his apartment. I was very impressed with his apartment. Incredibly clean. Um, everything was in order. Incredibly empty as well. And as I looked around, I, I thought, Steve, do you have any food? And he kind of looked down and he's like, 
no. And I opened his refrigerator and there's like a thing of mustard, you know, that was it. And I said, well, Steve, instead of me taking you out to lunch, like, and he told me he hadn't eaten in a day and a half. I said, instead of me taking you out to lunch, why don't we go to the grocery store and I'll get you food and then we all have food for a week. And he's like, you know what, that would be better. I'm like, okay. So we went to the grocery store and as we're going through, I was really impressed with him. He's like, you know what, I love potatoes. Let's get a bag of potatoes. That'll last. I'm like, oh, nice. It's not this Raymond noodle guy. So, you know, we get all that stuff. And we might have gotten Raymond noodles, I don't remember. But we got back, and, you know, I'm putting it away, and I'm like, Steve, do you have a can opener? No. Do you have a pot to boil the potatoes in? You don't have a microwave. I don't see a microwave. Like, what? He's like, no. Steve, like, why didn't you tell me that? We'll go get you a can opener. And, you know, I had in the first service, I, you know, he had a knife. And, and I had several people who said, you know what? When there's a will, there's a way. You take a knife and you, yeah. But, so here's the thing. So someone would have said, oh, he had a need for food. He just had a lack of resources. But you never would have known unless you got to know him that his real need was beyond food. He needed a pot. He needed, he had no idea how to cook. He needed someone to tell him how to cook. He needed, he needed, you know, grocery. It, 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 was, it was much bigger. And that's where the solution is often not the program. Like you might think, man, I want to be a part of CareNet with crisis pregnancies and, and that's, well, the, it's not about, it's about people. Man, I want to help with business. That's about people. I, I, I want to I build low-income housing. That's about people. It's not about boards. It's not about nails. It's about people. Everything significant that can be accomplished in this world is about impacting people. And that's where Nehemiah's wall became one of the least things that he did. Um, maybe God is calling you not just to tutor school kids, but to show them what it looks like to be someone who loves Jesus. Maybe God is calling you to be on a school board, not to change anything in the school at all, but to model for people in a school board meeting where someone stands up and cusses you out, to model for them a soft answer turns away wrath. You know, but, but whatever it is, it's people. I want to close with this uh, uh, testimony. Janelle Lawrence is going to just talk about her life and about the thing God made for her to do. And what I like about this is it's not this huge thing. Janelle didn't have to travel to Ethiopia or Guatemala or something to, to accomplish what God wanted her to accomplish. It, it's, it's something some may even think of as insignificant, but it's not. And the other thing I like about what she shares is that um, she initially, she'll say, I tried this. And it just wasn't, it wasn't it. And so then I tried something else. And that, that was what, that was what God made me to do. And, and so sometimes there is, there's a trial and error involved in it. And, um, and then the third thing is, is it, it led to other things. She started something small and then it led to something else. And so as you listen to this, as the band closes, I, I hope every single one of you, you, you take that next step to nail down um, something you're curious about, something that breaks your heart, what your next step is, to nail down something um, that God wants you to do to change this world because changing the world 
is what Jesus died for. Let's listen. So I started attending Bridgewater, and what I loved about the church was the people. People would pull you in and just make you feel loved, but I still didn't feel connected with people on a personal level. So my son moved up to pre-K, and as I was dropping him off weekly, Heather would ask every now and then if I would be interested in serving, and I would tell her no because I wasn't capable of it. Um, I wouldn't necessarily tell her that, but I didn't feel that I was mature enough with Bible knowledge to teach even the pre-K room because I'd gotten saved like later in my teens and I really didn't know a lot of the Bible other than the book of John. So after being asked many times, I decided to finally say yes to her because I figured if my kid was in the class, it would be fine. I wouldn't be by myself. I could do it and, you know, be comfortable. So I served there for three months and realized that it wasn't really a good fit for me, but I still wanted to serve. So that's when we opened up the New Montrose Church and they were looking for greeters. So I decided to be one of them for the children's ministry and fell in love with just welcoming people, getting to know people. I felt that it was an easy way to be pushed out of my comfort zone just to get to know people because I wouldn't do it on my own if I wasn't serving. After serving at Montrose for probably a couple of years, our church started getting other campuses. And every time we were told that we were, you know, opening up a new church, I never, that one part of me felt like that was for us. Until Pastor Brett had told us that we were given the Tunkhannock Baptist Church. When I heard that, I kind of like felt like this pit in my stomach. Um, it actually made me sick to think about it because I didn't want to leave Montrose. Um, I finally felt like I had a home, I made friends, and everything was going so good, but I knew that as soon as they said Tunkhannock that that's where we were supposed to go. I definitely fought it. Pastor Rich had asked me if I would consider praying about it, and the only reason I said yes is because I can't say no to someone asking me to pray about something. So uh, my husband and I felt that that was what we were supposed to do. After serving there for a few years, I was given this great opportunity to be the children's coordinator. And I just love just loving on people and watching them grow and seeing people take that next step into serving, just watching them connecting with people and learning to love people. If I could tell somebody new to serving or someone thinking about serving a few things to think about or to look at, I would say that First of all, you're serving God. Don't look at it like you're, you know, necessarily serving the church. You're serving God and growing closer to Him. And also, fellowship was big for me. It allowed me to meet a lot of new people, connect with people that have the same passions and desire as you with kids' ministry. And lastly, it is an opportunity to grow. Um, I feel that it has allowed me to grow in so many different areas that I didn't think that I would ever grow in. I never, never thought that when I started teaching in pre-K that I would be the children's coordinator just a few years down the road, nor did I want to. But God has just given me this desire and this growth that I can't say no to.